1: Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 155 of the Lawyerist podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Billy Tarasio about optimizing your firm's intake process.
2: Today's podcast is brought to you by Ruby Receptionist, LawPay, and FreshBooks. We really appreciate their support, and we'll tell you more about them later in the show.
1: So we spend a lot of time interacting with small firm lawyers all over the country and asking them what some of their biggest challenges are and marketing as a broad category seems to be probably one of the biggest and most recurring themes that lawyers indicate is a problem for them. And I think in anticipation of your conversation with Billy today, it's probably worth thinking through a little bit about what that means, because I'm not sure that all small firm lawyers actually think about the concepts of marketing in a way that will help them solve it. I think that's a very good way to put it. And so from my perspective, I think of the problem lawyers actually have is a client acquisition strategy problem, not just a marketing problem. And what I mean by that is I think there are two separate, but related phases in getting new clients. One is a marketing function of getting your name out there, um, whether that's through content marketing or advertising or speaking or whatever, which is to get the attention of prospective clients and to get them to contact your firm. Then I think there's an intake and sales conversion process about getting those calls and emails that come into your firm to turn into clients. And I think too many lawyers think of getting new clients as marketing. And the reality is marketing is only that front end step of getting people to reach out to you. But then there's a sales conversion and intake process, which is both getting those contacts to schedule a consultation call or email, and then in that consultation, getting them to become clients. And those are sales functions. Those are intake conversion functions.
2: Yeah. And I can feel
1: some of our listeners feeling uncomfortable with that. Ooh, the sales word, business talk and law.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've kind of lost patience with that. Like if you're not willing to think about it as sales, then I mean, good luck, I guess. But a lot of the stuff that you can learn from sales is really helpful, But yeah, intake is sort of the beginning of where marketing meets sales and turns into it. And
1: Billy's got some really interesting thoughts on it. Yeah. And I think the thing to take away from this little conversation is if you're having client acquisition challenges in your firm, if there isn't enough coming in, it could be because your marketing efforts are insufficient and you're not getting enough people to contact your firm. But it's just as likely that there are opportunities for you to improve by working on your intake and sales conversion functions of getting the people who call or email your firm to convert into consultations and then clients at higher rates using a variety of client experience experiments and intake improvement experiments not trying to sell them a used car like that's not what this is about it's about providing valuable legal services to clients who need them but you need to convert people into saying yes and that involves practices and principles that sales people understand
2: where the marketing and sales start blending together is on your website In your Google search results, right? Like that's where people start making decisions about whether to even enter into any sort of a transaction with you. And so, if you're having trouble, you want to sort of break that up into multiple pieces. Like, at which point do you think people are falling off? Have you spent a lot of money on SEO and you think it's performing well and you're not getting clients out of it? Well, try and figure out why that is. Are people landing on your website and getting confused and not filling out your contact form, Um, or are the wrong people getting there? If people are, if your phone is ringing and you still find yourself without clients, or if your email inbox is full of inquiries and you still find yourself without clients, what's going on there? Like, are they all the wrong people? Are none of them following up with you? In which case, maybe it's you,
1: not them. You know, the troubleshooting has to run through that entire thing, so. And Billy's, in this interview, gonna provide a bunch of both kind of strategic ideas, but also some kind of tangible, practical tips on things you can experiment with because she's run a bunch of data-driven experiments on how she's improved her conversion rates through her intake and sales processes, again, in an ethical way that supports the needs of clients. This isn't about used cars or anything. So Billy will offer a bunch of great ideas there, but it's worth stepping back and kind of mapping out for your firm and your practice. What are the steps a client has to take from being aware of you, whether that's through SEO rankings or hearing you speak, to wanting to reach out to your firm, to what happens when they do, and are all of those things mapping to the process of turning them into a client?
2: So we've talked about data a bit. We're going to have a quick sponsored interview with Joshua Lennon from Clio about tracking data and what you can do with it, and then my interview with billing. So here we go.
0: Hello, I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer in residence at Clio, the world's leading cloud-based practice management software for law firms.
2: Hi, Joshua. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Sam. It's great to be here. You are here to talk about data and law firms. And uh, I think maybe we better tee that up by explaining whether or not most common law firms who may not be thinking of themselves as generating data, whether they have it. So do we have
0: data in our firms? Law firms actually may have too much data. What's interesting is that we collect all kinds of data in our law firms, whether it be contacts for conflict checking, whether it's the documents that we store on behalf of clients, whether it's our own individual notes and case files, uh, even our billing information are actually all different types of data that can be used by law firms, to guide their practices and their decision-making
2: so we have a ton of it it's just sort of stuck in places where we can't necessarily get to it so how do we collect it and make it useful
0: well i think what law firms need to think about is centralizing and standardizing their data so in the past we've had those giant little folders that have been overflowing with our case files and while those were great for storing things in banker boxes and filing cabinets it didn't really make it something you could search against so if you centralize your data into some type of online practice management system or a local practice management system that allows you to search across all those different types of data and extract that data so that you can do reports about it. That's really the first step a law firm should be taking to make themselves data-driven.
2: So I'm imagining basic stuff like, you know, I want to enter, I want to run a report to find out uh, the average revenue generated by all my cases last year. Mm -hmm. And that seems simple enough, but give us some other examples. Like what can we do with the data once we have it in a useful format?
0: Well, what's interesting about data is it allows you to leverage your gut feelings and drive really informed decision-making. So it could be that you may think that a judge just doesn't like you. And with proper data across all of your case files, you can actually take a look at different motions that you've had for them, whether or not they succeed, um, whether or not they've been challenged, whether your rules in your favor. Uh, If you are a criminal lawyer, you can take a look, for example, at the arresting officer and what patterns might emerge from that arresting officer's actions or reports and how that might impact your current client. And you can even make business-driven decisions based on the data that you have. So if you take a look at your billing and you see certain payment periods that are more to your favor, you can actually base your future billing practices on those. So organizing this information actually has a, a whole host of applications, both in favor for your clients and in favor for you as running your practice as a business.
2: So am I hearing you correctly that if I have been using practice management software like Clio for... A couple of years and I've been inputting all my client information, I've been using it for billing, I've been keeping track of accounts, I've been um, entering outcomes and all that kind of stuff, I probably already have a lot of data whether or not I'm actually trying to do anything useful with it. Absolutely. Yeah, but if I'm not already using law practice management software, then I might have a preliminary step of organizing what's in my probably paper files or spreadsheets into a more useful format
0: that's true but even then that may not take as long as you think so most people carry all of their contacts in their email program for example like outlook and that can just sink into a practice management platform so there is a little bit of effort in getting the information in but then once you have it it can actually save you time and effort when it comes to making data-driven decisions
2: So along the same lines, you are conducting a webinar very soon called the Data-Driven Law Firm, in which people can learn, lawyers can learn uh, what kind of data they can get uh, and what they can do with it. This will be on February 6th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can sign up for it. It's free at Clio.com slash data driven, all one word. That's Clio.com slash data driven. And Joshua, replays will be available, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. If you go ahead and register at that link, which will continue to be live, uh, you will receive a recording of the presentation and all of its handouts as well.
2: Well, thank you so much for that information. Uh, Again, go to Clio.com slash data driven if you want to sign up. And Joshua, thanks for being with us today.
0: Sam, it's always great to be a part of the Lawyers Podcast. Thank you.
3: Good morning, Sam. This is Billy Tarasio from Modern Law.
2: Hi, Billy. Thanks for being on the podcast for your second time, I believe.
3: Yeah, that's right. It, it's been, I don't know, maybe at least a year, but it's, it's great to be back.
2: It's good to have you back. First of all, I wanted to check in on something that we talked about a while back, but maybe you better set the stage for us because we had talked about your do-it-yourself online documents portal, but maybe we could briefly recap and tell us what your firm does and how you ended up building this thing and what's happened with it since we talked to you about a year ago.
3: Okay, sounds great. I'll try to make a a long story very short. Um, (laughs) Cool. When the firm opened, it was, um, I am a family law practitioner and I opened the firm, which is now known as Modern Law, um, in 2010 here in Arizona with a access to justice mission. And as time went on and we began just really testing all aspects of the firm, it became pretty clear that it was going to be difficult to have any sort of a low cost model that also provided attorneys great benefits and great wages and had a profit margin that I wanted the law firm to have. So a spinoff company was created, Access Legal to make sure that that mission was still fulfilled while the law firm was able to evolve into a healthier business. And one of the first projects that we took on was developing technology that would allow us to deliver specific documents in a Microsoft Word version through questionnaires, so online document automation. And we would use that tool both forward-facing to make it available to the public and internally to automate the law firm drafting.
2: Yeah. And so the, the external facing one ended up being called Access Legal, and I, people can go see it right now at accesslegaldocs.com, right? That's right. Yeah. And and you're still using this internally, right?
3: Yes, we are. So um, when clients hire modern law, they receive a questionnaire and in their email box. They fill out that questionnaire and the answers auto-populate the uh, pleadings that we created in the background. Now, now that sounds like a you know, oh, duh, type of thing. But when <laughs> well, <laughs> we did it, it wasn't quite as easily accessible as it now is.
2: Yeah. Last we spoke, you were kind of, if I'm recalling correctly, the the external facing access legal had had sort of an unexpected effect. Like it, it was you you felt like people were going there, seeing what was involved and then saving up the money to hire you. Um, which meant that the portal itself was kind of a failure, but it, it wasn't really hurting your ability to get clients in the door.
3: That's exactly right. So what we yeah. found was I thought that making these very practical tools available to the public who didn't have an attorney would be very valuable to them, but it really isn't. If it's not accompanied with a whole lot more um, it really isn't valuable. So Access Legal and Modern Law, you know, both owned by me, continue to uh, kind of ramp up our offerings of what can we do to make things valuable to the public. So we started offering webinars. We, I wrote a book that's a, you know, basically a DIY manual of start to finish, what to do procedurally, things like how to put together your file. And now we're also offering. A seminar that I will probably turn into a course. So none of these things on their own really did the trick of giving people what they wanted. So we're in this constant evolution to provide the best tools possible to people who are representing themselves.
2: And do you feel like you're getting closer? I think you called it a failure as an access to justice project, but as a client generator, it actually was sort of a success.
3: I think that's completely accurate. I mean, if if the, <laughs> yeah, if if my goal was so that people could access this information that they can't get anywhere else, better tools than they can get anywhere else, and people aren't accessing them and using them, then it really isn't accomplishing what I thought it would. But the law firm took off. More and more people wanted to use us. It built trust. It built kind of legitimacy in the community. So from that respect, it was not a failure.
2: So have you done, I mean, it sounds like though you've continued to iterate on it. You're trying to figure out how to make it a successful access to justice tool.
3: Yes. And it goes beyond that. It's that the mission that we have of increasing access to justice and being a a resource will never go away. And so I don't know what the best way is to do that. You know, the documents online may never turn out to be something that is super valuable to people, and that's okay, but we will never stop figuring out how to bring more value to the public, even people who are not our clients.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, I didn't actually bring you on to talk about that. I brought you on because I wanted to hear about intake and... You are, this feels weird to say to me, but knowing you and talking with you about it, I know that to be true, you are passionate about intake.
3: I am passionate about intake. <laughs> yeah.
2: Why is that? What's so great about intake?
3: Um, intake is the most powerful piece of the law firm in that if I am watching intake numbers, intake key performance indicators, I can tell whether or not my law firm will grow or shrink in the next 30, 60, 90 days. It is a better indicator than anything else going on in my firm. And it is the easiest thing to fix. And when it is wrong, it has the most impact on the business. So with all of that, I'm really passionate about intake.
2: I mean, hearing you say that, that all actually seems obvious to me. Um, but it wasn't before you actually brought that up. Like what, when you say you're tracking um, those key indicators around intake, what are the numbers you actually look at on that? Well, it's
3: kind of a work in
2: progress. Or is that, is that like a secret thing?
3: No, not at all. No, nothing <laughs> we do is secret. I talk about it all day. I mean, initially, you at a base level, you need to be tracking how many leads your firm is getting. You need to decide how you're how you're going to define a lead, how many of those leads come in to meet with you? Um, well, how many schedule to come in to meet with you? How many actually mm-hmm. show up and meet with you? And then how many become clients? So that is at, at a bare minimum, the things that you need to be tracking. But in addition to that, there's other things that I want to be tracking. Um, things like how long are the calls? How long, how much time are my intake people speaking versus listening during the calls? And at what point in the call do they start talking about price or coming in? How soon are they trying to schedule? Is it a conversation or is it filling out a form?
2: Okay. So I feel like you just opened a whole box or a can of worms about uh, intake that most people don't think about. And and I, re- I realize we're kind of jumping into the middle here, but I I want you to explain because uh, I, I know a little bit about this, and I think it's kind of fantastic and amazing. I want you to explain how you think about the length of calls and what your intake people you just give me your approach to that. So
3: my goal, well, okay, we know, there's all this research in the last probably five or 10 years about listening and empathy, right? I mean, if mm-hmm. you're if you're kind of Paying attention to these things, you've seen it. It is probably the most powerful tool that we have because when people call us or any law firm, they're in crisis and they're looking for a lawyer. And the most important thing to them in a law office is does this law office care about me and understand me? And the best way to communicate to your clients or potential clients that you understand them and care about them is by listening.
2: But you take kind of an extreme approach to that.
3: I mean, it, it wasn't all my idea. I've just been listening <laughs> to a lot of other people, yeah. you know, so it's not like I came up with all of this on my own. but But you're right. I want my intake people to be on the phone for 40 minutes. And I want them to listen for at least 30 of those minutes.
2: Hmm. And you say intake people, like you have you have intake staff. You are not necessarily the one picking up the phone.
3: Right. I have two dedicated full-time intake people and their job is just intake. Because if we go back to what I was saying before, where intake is the most important thing that will impact my firm, before I had intake people, I, like most law firms, had a paralegal or a legal assistant who answered the phone while they were trying to juggle 30 other things mm-hmm. and that meant the phone was an interruption the potential client on the phone was an interruption and they feel that and they can't my intake people cannot be present and give someone 30 or 40 minutes to listen to their life story when they've got 20 other things that are demanding their time
2: mm-hmm. so you have intake staff and you and you want them to average 40 minutes 30 minutes of listening how do they make that happen? Do, do people just want to talk for that long or are they are you teaching them skills for keeping people on the phone?
3: We are teaching them skills for keeping people on the phone. Now, ultimately, they need to be checked into the person. So if the person wants to get off the phone, by all means, get off the phone. Right. But most people want the opportunity to talk and people aren't listening to them. So they are thrilled to have someone ask them questions like, tell me more about that. How did you get right. here? Has it always been this bad?
2: I mean, because most of us just are like, we just want to short circuit it and get to the legal issue. You're like, okay, stop telling me your life story. Here's what you need to do. Exactly. And you've pulled a U-turn and driven really fast in the opposite direction.
3: Right. And I I do the same thing in my consultations. The less I talk, the smarter they think I am. It's remarkable.
2: You are quite smart. Like, that's not the problem. But... We have to take a quick break to hear from responses, but when we come back, I want to talk more about intake and empathy and about your intake staff and how you approach it. So we'll be back in a minute. Ruby Receptionist is a live, remote receptionist service that is dedicated to helping lawyers win clients and build trust one happy caller at a time. From their offices in Portland, Oregon, Ruby's friendly, professional receptionists ensure exceptional client experiences by answering calls live in English or Spanish, transferring calls, taking messages, collecting new client intake, addressing common questions, making outbound calls for you, and more. Just like an in-house receptionist at a fraction of the cost. More importantly, they sound like they're sitting in your office. For a special offer, visit callruby.com slash lawyerist2018 or call 844-715-7829.
1: That's 844-715-RUBY. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person. No equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com lawyerist to sign up and get your first three months free. Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars. LawPay. Being a self-employed lawyer is hard enough, which is why dealing with your day-to-day paperwork on top of it all shouldn't have to be. FreshBooks makes ridiculously easy-to-use cloud-based time and billing software that will help you work smarter, get paid faster, and become more organized. With FreshBooks invoicing, you can create and send polished professional invoices effortlessly in mere seconds. FreshBooks can set you up to receive payments online, which can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. You can track your time either by using their mobile app or your desktop, meaning you'll always know what work you did, when you did it, and who you did it for. There's also a super handy deposit feature so you can invoice for a payment up front when you're kicking off a project. To feel the full impact of how FreshBooks can change the way you deal with your paperwork, FreshBooks is offering our listeners a 30-day free trial. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section.
2: So we're back. And Billy, it strikes me that that style of intake, um, essentially sitting on the phone and listening to people's problems all day, might be hard.
3: Right. Yeah, um, you're exactly right. And w- another thing that we found um, is that people burn out. It is a yeah. short term position. The intake people do not have the benefit of because w- I, I really, as attorneys, I tr- I train my attorneys to do the same thing. But the difference is that the attorneys get to see the process through, um, bring the the problem to full circle and and they're not simply listening all day long to people's problems and that is not something that people can do over a long period of time without their emotional bank account just running dry
2: mhm yeah i can imagine i think i've heard you mention this and this is what i think is even like the second or third level of cleverness of this is that uh, I think you've said that you feel like the callers are more likely to sign up with your firm, not just because the staff have been empathetic, but because by the time they get off the phone, forty-five minutes later, they're so exhausted that they can't get their head around calling another lawyer.
3: Invested is the term I prefer. As <laughs> Invested. To there exhausted. you go. Exhausted, <laughs> but <laughs> but you're right. Like, why would I want to start over? I have given these people my life story. They understand me, mm-hmm. and it's not just that. We are throwing at them all sorts of other things to make sure that they understand that we are the best fit for them. They're getting a book, they're getting emails, they're getting texts. They should feel so confident in our ability that they would never want to work with anyone else.
2: How effective is this? Like, I mean, do you track conversion rates or... Or do you think about it differently than just how many people sign up?
3: We absolutely track conversion rates. And it's very, very effective, except when it isn't. And I can tell exactly when it isn't by these numbers. Um, Mm -hmm. The number of, you know, how many leads are scheduling, how many of those are showing up. Um, All of those things tell me immediately whether intake is working or not. And then you have to go back and listen to calls and do more coaching.
2: Hmm. So you so you will sometimes you you record those calls, obviously, and then do quality control sometimes.
3: Absolutely. When my numbers tell me something is something is off and and it happens quickly. I mean, within a week, somebody you can tell if somebody's really in a rut and having, you know, a bad week or they're on vacation because they work remotely and they're just really not checked in. I can tell immediately when things are not going well.
2: Hmm. And so it's not just it's you're not. They're not using scripts. You're trying to train them to do this, and they really need to be checked in and engaged in this process. Yeah,
3: it's a hard job. Really,
2: (laughs) I mean, it sounds like one. It's a hard job. (laughs) How do you talk to people about that when you're hiring them?
3: We're hiring for someone who is naturally curious and empathetic. Usually we're talking about young women who want to know these stories. Mm -hmm. They want to know the background. Those are the perfect candidates for the intake position because we don't want them trying to solve this person's problem. Mm -hmm. And most of us, even even after a few months in the legal industry, we think we have enough information to jump to solving. We naturally want to jump to solving, um, which is another reason why you have to, I think, kind of um, move your intake people onto other things in your firm or help them find a different job because you want that curiosity that comes from, being new to an industry.
2: Hmm. So this all sounds very clever and neat. (laughs) And I'm super impressed. Uh, I'm wondering if it's so effective, and and I'm imagining you're, I mean, I don't know if you're converting one out of every two people or what, but do you actually have more clients than you want? Yes, we spent
3: last year at maximum capacity for at least half of the year. Hmm. So what happens when you fix intake, you know, if you map out your your processes, and you've got intake, and then you've got sales, and then you've got um, your your attorneys and your operations and then your finance piece the intake is at the beginning of that line and when intake gets really good then you have to fix all these other things before you can add more people and so that's where law right. laws at <laughs> trying to gotcha. scale up on those other areas
2: you're sort of uh you're sort of staring into the fire hose trying to figure out how to swallow all the water
3: right <laughs> but what's beautiful is we get to be really picky about our clients and that makes everyone like their job a whole lot better
2: a lot of lawyers talk about being picky about their clients and i think very few lawyers are actually able to do that um, so I'm wondering like I mean do you identify like nope this person just isn't a fit for us and then you turn them away
3: absolutely without a doubt hmm I was talking to one of my lawyers, um, I think, last week, and I was asking him, you know, how things are going and are you having any client problems? And his answer to me was so telling because he said, you know, I actually really like all my clients right now. That is what determines whether or not you have problem clients. Mm -hmm. Do you have a relationship where you like talking to them or do you hate talking to them? I
2: feel like it's uh, – I mean we've done it too, but like – deciding to only work with people who you actually like and enjoy working with is like this massively transformative thing that you can do for your business.
3: Massively transformative. I love
2: that. (laughs) I mean, it's like, how do you, you know, so many lawyers uh, are not happy with their clients and their clients hate them and they hate the other lawyer. And it's just Mm -hmm. if you and especially in a family law practice, right? Like you're dealing with Mm -hmm. people at the end of their rope. And one of the reasons I've always said I will never get into family law is because everybody seems to hate each other. Right. But apparently not for you.
3: No, not for us. But we've we've been so intentional about it. We close early on Fridays. We as a company do yoga together on Fridays. We <laughs> have said we will not work with people we don't like. We will... We turn away clients who don't agree with our values of whole health and moving forward and getting you know, positive outcomes for restructuring a family. And because we're so intentional about that and vocal about that in all of our marketing, we get great clients and we like our job.
2: I mean, you've really embraced this idea of hiring and firing on culture and extended mm-hmm. it to intake. You, you, you accept and reject clients based on culture, it sounds like. We do. So I assume your intake staff then are also you know, trying to figure out, is this person a good fit for our firm? Not just listening.
3: I I don't ask them to do that. That is something that happens down the pipeline when we're actually in the initial consultation.
2: I see. So intake is really all about just getting them into the office. Right. And then once they're in the office, the lawyer who's interviewing them, and does everybody at the firm do this? Or, or do you also have like initial consultation specialist? For
3: a long time I did the majority of the consultations and I really like doing that because I get to know who the clients are, what their issues are, and and can match them with the right attorney based on that attorney's capacity. And it's hard for attorneys who are working all day on client projects to then transition into a consultation where they have to completely turn off their lawyer hat and check into their counselor hat and just listen. So I do think there's a lot of value in having a designated person who does the consultations. Yeah. But right now we're at a point where everyone is really doing them, which is great for me as the owner because <laughs> I, I get to step back. Yeah. But we'll have to test that and see what happens.
2: For listeners benefits, uh, you're saying a lot of things in the, you know, kind of, you're assuming a lot of things in the background that, um, that I hope people are picking up on, which is like that you, um, when you said something like, uh, we were at max capacity, I don't think most law firms know what their max capacity is. But it sounds like you have a really good idea of what that is.
3: We do. But that's hard. We've Mm -hmm. grappled with that all of last year, because we were at max capacity. And so the way that We do that is several ways. We have meetings once a week where we talk about where we're at. Everyone knows what their daily billable goal is and how much money um, really they should be bringing in each month. Now, we had two paralegals last year who were just blowing it out of the water month after month after month. And instead of just saying, oh, isn't that great, Look how much you can do. That's an indication that we're above capacity. Yeah. And it was also we we sat we found that our paralegals were blowing their numbers out of the water and the attorneys were below their ideal number which told me I needed more paralegal help to match so that the lawyers could do more. Yeah, you
2: have a bottleneck, basically. We
3: have a bottleneck. Yeah. And one of the things we also do in that weekly meeting is not just look at the numbers, but we ask everyone to identify their capacity on a scale of zero to 100% where you add at on capacity. So it's objective and subjective.
2: Well, I like that because it acknowledges, you know, we, we try to quantify everything and it acknowledges that you, know, you may be over capacity for reasons that have nothing to do with the number of pages on your desk or something. So
3: Exactly. Or number of cases, which really is not a good indication
2: of how full you are. I mean, how how systematic would you say modern law is at this point? Like is the entire thing a system with a process that you are able to like identify problems and bottlenecks and Build solutions to them and then test them and then identify the next bottleneck and just knock them down? Or are you still working on systemizing systematizing things?
3: We are absolutely still working on systematizing things. But everything we do is with this mindset of what are we trying to accomplish? How are we going to measure whether or not we're accomplishing it? What are the criteria we're going to look at? So on one hand, everything is systematized to that. And on the other hand, It's a complete work in progress, and everyone in this office is part of the solution.
2: So maybe to wrap up, we could go back to the nuts and bolts of intake. And, you know, I'm guessing a lot of our listeners are lawyers who are either answering their own phone or answering their phone with the help of a virtual receptionist or a receptionist in the office. What's the first couple of steps you need to take to get from there to where you are?
3: That's a great question. And
2: I totally just sprung it on you out of nowhere. <laughs> oh,
3: no, that's fine. That's fine. I think maybe, I guess it depends on your goal. If your goal, if you as a law firm owner are a solo and you want more work and that's your goal, then I think the most important thing you can do is hire an intake person, maybe that person's part time, my intake people are virtual, they don't have to be here. So you could hire a part time person. Now, if that's not your problem, if your problem is, I can't manage the work that I have, then that's probably not your first
2: hire. That's a good point. Yeah, I take your point. Yeah, if people are feeling like they're, because I think a lot of people and, and we ask everybody, like, what's your biggest challenge? And a lot of people say their biggest challenge is getting clients in the door. But I suspect after talking to you that a lot of them may also have the problem of getting those clients or getting those potential clients to turn into actual clients um, and intake may be the process. And it sounds like the way to do that is, is to get somebody whose job is to actually move intake, to have numbers that indicate whether or not intake is working and work with that person to make them more effective at doing what you need them to do.
3: I think that's absolutely true. Did I and sum I think, it up well? <laughs> yes. And I, and and there are people, lots and lots of smart people are saying this. You probably have enough leads.
0: You mm-hmm.
3: probably have a conversion problem. And conversion is a difficult word because it describes so many things. But you probably have a conversion problem at a whole lot of different places. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think that's a fabulous point.
2: Very cool. Billy, thank you so much for walking us through your intake process. I think it's neat that you are passionate about it, and I hope people have learned a lot from it.
3: Thank you so much, Sam. I really appreciate it.
1: Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com/slash podcast. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said
2: in this podcast is legal advice for you.